0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sherwood Oaks. We are so glad you are with us in the room, those of you joining us online. uh, Today, our text is John chapter 10. And so if you have a Bible or Bible app that you like to use, I invite you to turn there with me, John chapter 10, as we continue our Core 52 series. We're going to be uh, looking at several verses, but our core verse for this week is chapter 10, verse 28. I recently learned about an artist named Tetsuya Tanaka. He creates these miniature works of art that are just absolutely incredible using just everyday items that he finds around his house. And he puts them together and kind of takes a picture of them and then puts them on his website every day. There's like a calendar of them every day that you can go on. And so here are some of the things that he's created. It takes like these brushes and cuts them down and makes it look like uh, farmers in, in the field. I, I like this one, a uh, guy deadlifting a uh, chicken wing. That is my kind of weightlifting right there. Anybody? Okay, uh, next one, he, he did a lot with masks during COVID and so kind of made it look like lanes of a pool that swimmers were diving into, uh, or even waves of the ocean that surfers were heading out. Uh, I, I like this one, playing basketball on the on the face mask. Uh, and then this one's my favorite, um, turning ruffles into Pringles. Uh, that is, that is, is brilliant. So, from, uh, ever since 2011, he's been posting a new picture every day, again, on his website, miniature-what um, is it, calendar.com. And, and what I love is, is his creativity and his ability to take just ordinary, everyday objects and turn them into works of art because he sees something in them that, that I don't see. He sees something in them that oftentimes we just gloss right over. Now, listen, there's a lot of spiritual implications and ties that we can make into that. But how I kind of want to use that as a launching pad for our text is that in the, in, the, in the gospel of John, Jesus does the same way and does the same things in a, in a lot of ways. He takes just ordinary everyday objects, and he points to them to help us understand a little bit more about who he is, to help us see him in ways that we may not naturally see him, to, to understand him in ways that we may not naturally understand him. And so in John chapter four, he points to water and he says, I am the living water. That, that water and what it does for your body is like what I do for your soul. I refresh your soul. I bring you comfort and fulfillment. Last week, Jesus uses bread to teach us that he is the only one who can fill that hunger that is deep down within our soul. He points to light and he says, I am the light that shines in the darkness, that casts out the darkness in this world. He points to a path and he says, I'm like that. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Several times in the book of John, Jesus points to an everyday, ordinary object and he reframes it for us. He says, That's who I am. That is what I'm like. It's what I do. And so Tatsuya Tanaka uses an object to help us see that object differently, but Jesus uses an object to help us see him differently, to help us know him more. And in our text this week, John chapter 10, Jesus actually uses two objects to describe how he protects us, how he cares for us, how he watches over us and, and keeps us safe. And in verse seven, Jesus says that he is the gate and that everyone who enters through him are like sheep who are safe in their pen. They are protected, they are guarded, they are watched over. That, that the thief tries to break into the sheep pen and his only desire is to steal and kill and destroy but Jesus is here to bring us life as we enter through him. And then in verse 11, look at what he says. He goes from talking about being the gate to saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And Jesus' love for us is protective and sacrificial by pointing to the good shepherd is what he's wanting us to know about who he is. There's no way that, the, that people originally hearing this would, would have heard Jesus say, I am the good shepherd and not immediately thought back to other scriptures like, like Psalm 23. Psalm 23, about the, the Lord being our shepherd who, who gives us everything that we need. We lack nothing in him. Our, our good shepherd who leads us uh, to pastures where we can graze, to, that leads us beside still waters where our souls find refreshment. Their imaginations would have drifted to, uh, to, to passages like Ezekiel chapter 34, when the Lord says, as a shepherd looks over his scattered flock when he is with them, And so will I look after my sheep? I will rescue them. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down. Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of that prophecy in Ezekiel. Our good shepherd lays down his life for us and then he invites our souls to come and find rest in him. Knowing that no matter what is happening externally, no matter what is happening around us, We are safe, we are secure, we are protected, and we can find rest because of our good shepherd. Later in verse 14, he continues this imagery and says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And and that word know, it's it's more than just like, oh yeah, I, I know that, I know that guy. No, this is a deep, intimate knowledge. It is, it is the way a husband knows his wife. A wife knows her husband. There's this deep bond between them, a relationship that is built on trust and tenderness. He goes on and he says, the same way that I know the father and the father knows me, so you can know me and I will know you. I've always found it fascinating, the relationship that shepherds have with their sheep. And and as I just learn more about it, it's no wonder that God continues to go back to that imagery to describe the tenderness of the relationship between us. Shepherds know their sheep and sheep know their shepherds. Multiple flocks could go and graze in one pasture. They could drink from the same watering hole. And and yet none of the shepherds are worried that they're gonna get their sheep mixed up. Because they know that at a word or at a whistle, their sheep will come running right to them because they know their voice and they follow him. I haven't quite yet developed that kind of relationship with our new puppy. (laughs) If you've had a puppy, you know that sometimes this can be a little challenging. Uh, Do you guys want to see a picture? Okay, well, I mean, even if you said no, I was going to show it anyway. So here, (laughs) this is Luna. This is Luna. I don't know that we ever publicly announced after our little poll what the name was. Luna got 34% of the vote. And uh, so the people spoke. And uh, so we have Luna. Uh, And (laughs) what's funny is in this picture, we're actually at my grandma Green's house. And she had made these dresses for some dolls that the girls have. And my Aunt Brenda was looking at Luna and looking at the dress and said, I think that those two could go together. I think that dress would actually fit your, your puppy. And, and I thought, oh, she is gonna hate this. But guys, let me tell you, she is posing for that picture. Like she knows how cute she looks in, in that dress. But we're still in this phase of our relationship where I call her and she does this really cute, adorable little thing where she ignores me and runs the other way. Um, it's, it's just wonderful. <laughs> That's our relationship right now. And it'll improve, hopefully. Uh, But that's not the relationship that shepherds have with their sheep. They know their shepherd's voice and they follow. And the shepherd knows his sheep. They can distinguish them by their markings, the sounds that they make, the notches that they carefully put into their ear, signifying this sheep belongs to me mine in the same way Jesus intimately knows and loves you He has invited you into his care and protection. He has marked you with the Holy Spirit, which the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter one is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. It is is God's seal on you saying, you are mine. You belong to me. And once God has you in his arms, there is nothing, nothing that's gonna take you from him. Which brings us to our core verse for the week. Verse 28, and I actually want to go back up one verse to verse 27. It says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So I kind of want to pull the curtain back just a little bit uh, and give you some some insight into what happens uh, kind of in my own head and, and heart while I'm walking up here to to preach. I have this little routine that I do every time I I, wa- I come up to to preach, uh, and and I have the the same prayer that I've been praying for years as I as I come up. Uh, I, I'm always thinking in my mind. Okay, Sean, don't trip on the stairs. Don't trip on the stairs. Don't trip on the stairs. <laughs> uh, trying to make sure I don't, you know, lose any of my stuff. And while I'm praying this prayer and thinking about not tripping up the stairs, and maybe even praying about that, uh, I, I'm able to catch the the little sermon bumper, the the video, the intro video, uh, before I get up and preach. And, and I'm not always paying attention to it because I got other things in my mind. But I but I notice it and. And over the the last few months, as we've been in Core 52, we've been kind of rotating the different themes based on the core verse for each week. And so for the last several weeks, as we've been in this part of it, this series, uh, there's been a topic that every time I see it, there's like a little rush of anxiety that comes over me and I'm thinking, oh no, it's coming. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. Well, today it's here. (laughs) And today we're talking about eternal security. And if you're wondering what in the world does that mean, it basically comes down to this question. Can I lose my salvation? Can I lose my salvation? And I I feel this little rush of anxiety, not because... I mean, I, I actually enjoy preaching and teaching on, on hard, controversial things, but, but because I know that there's kind of two camps to this, and those two camps are represented even here in this room, and both of them are able to point to scriptures to say, this is why I believe what I believe, and, and I get it. One camp believes that that Christians can backslide and lose their salvation. They point to texts that talk about it being impossible for someone who has fallen away or continues to live in persistent sin to be saved. The other camp proclaims this idea of once saved, always saved. We lived up in New England for several years and, and they were fond of saying, we are the frozen chosen. Like they held firmly to that doctrine. That, that once you make a profession of faith in Jesus, your salvation card is stamped and it is irrevocable. Nothing can change it. And they would say that if someone does walk away from their faith, they probably never really made a genuine commitment to follow Jesus anyway. In fact, both camps may say the same thing. Now, I just kind of want to be clear as we jump into this. Scripture warns us against speculating whether or not someone's conversion to Christ was genuine and sincere. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians want to immediately jump to that. I remember when a certain celebrity um, started to proclaim faith in Christ, everyone Everyone was looking, judging, oh, is, he, is it genuine, is it sincere? And it was almost like in, a, in an attacking way. And, and yeah, we, we need to watch the fruit of someone's life, but, but man, we are, God does not want us playing the game of questioning if someone's conversion was genuine. I think instead he calls us to look at ourselves to make sure that our own commitment to Christ is genuine and sincere. And what I found in this, I've kind of talked about this topic with people over the years is is that not only are there two camps, but there's also two ways to have this discussion. There is the the theological discussion, which is important. We ought to have well-thought-out, sound doctrine. But those discussions are typically very lofty and theoretical. But then there's the second kind. It's the person that is sitting across from me, wondering, does God still love me? Am I still saved? It's the emotional discussion around this issue. It's people who have put their faith in Jesus and have followed him faithfully for many years. They've made mistakes along the way like all of us. But they wonder, when my time comes, will I get in? And the simplest answer I can give to that question is, listen, if you are worried that you have lost your salvation, you have not lost your salvation. (laughs) In our chapter for this week, Mark Moore says we're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. End of story. End of story. We are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. We are saved by God's grace, His unmerited favor that we did not earn and we do not deserve. And so, if we are not saved by our good works, but by God's grace, then, then it stands to reason that we cannot lose our salvation because of our bad works. Jesus rescues us, He protects us, He fights for us, He holds on to us as we hold on to Him. And there is nothing that you can do, no sin that you can commit that will ever make Him let go of you, make Him say, Nope. That's one too many. Nope, you're, you're not getting your act together and I'm washing my hands of you. Again, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter eight, he says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, Neither height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing external and there is nothing internal that we can do that is going to make God give up on us. Call it quits. There is nothing and no one that can snatch you from his grip. Again, Mark says in our chapter this week, it costs Jesus everything to save us. He will stop at nothing to keep us. Unfortunately, I think what what creeps into many of us, my life, maybe it's creeped into your life as well, is this misunderstanding, this, this misguided understanding of God's love and mercy and faithfulness to us. We teach and we preach and we, and we say that we genuinely believe in faith alone. Like that is our theology. That is what we believe. We are saved by faith alone. But, but then there's, there's this theology that resides maybe in our heart. That's the theology that, that lives in our head. But there's this theology that resides in our heart. This practical theology that's like, well, maybe it's not grace alone. Maybe it's not faith alone. And we change that word alone to and. It's, it's faith and. It's faith and my good works. Yeah, I know I believe and we teach faith only, but oh, what I feel and what I experience is, is man, I gotta be good enough for God to love me. We think as long as I do this or I don't do that, then, then I'm secure. I, I am blessed and highly favored. But as soon as I start doing this or I don't do that, then I begin to fall out of that grace. I begin to fall out of that favor. And many of us live with this as our functional theology. And so instead of living with eternal security, many of us walk through life with eternal insecurity. Constantly wondering and wavering, am I saved? Does God love me? Does God still love me? And we think if God does love us or if he has any kind of feeling towards us, at best it's maybe just indifference because we just can't seem to get our act together. Recent studies found that 80% of millennials, uh, those who are roughly between the ages of 24 and 40, um, that 80% of them believe, they walk around with this narrative in their minds that they are not good enough. In virtually every area of their life, this, this, is, this is something that they live with, their, their career, they feel like they're not good enough. Relationships, meeting the expectations of their parents or their grandparents, they just walk around with this, with this sense of like guilt and shame, feeling like they are not good enough. And it affects every area of their life, including their, their mental health. But my guess is that if we took a poll today, we would find that it's not just millennials that struggle with this. All of us do in one way or another. Most people I talk to walk around with this low-grade sense of not being good enough or measuring up. Tom Ellsworth used to call it uh, uh, that, that sense of um, southern guilt that we just all have. And we feel it within ourselves. Sometimes we feel it from others. And what we do, what I do, is we take those feelings that just maybe sometimes feel so true, and we project them onto God. And we think, if, if I feel like I'm not good enough, if other people feel like I'm not good enough, then my goodness, God must feel like I'm not good enough either, and that we don't measure up. But listen, God's love for us, his affection, his approval, it is not based on us. It is deeply rooted in Jesus and our faith in him. That is what saves us. That is what secures us, not our actions. Our salvation is dependent upon much more than our faithfulness to him. does that mean that we don't pursue a life of holiness? Absolutely not. Scripture all over tells us to pursue Jesus, to live for him. But it's not that that saves us, it is our faith in him that does. I need to be reminded of this every day. It's why my my favorite passage of scripture is Hebrews 10, 14. It says, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. By one sacrifice, God has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And we hear that and maybe you look at that and you think, well, that seems kind of like an oxymoron. How how can God look at me and see me as perfect even though I'm being made holy? And I would say that's the functional theology coming out in you. That's that belief that we have to be good enough. It's not faith alone, it's faith and. But what this scripture teaches us is that in God's economy, your faith in Jesus makes you a perfect 10. It's not what you do. It is what Jesus has done for you. And your faith in that has made you a perfect 10. And so turn to the person next to you this morning and say, you are a perfect 10. They might need to hear that (laughs) this morning. The Father has made you perfect forever because of your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Even while, don't miss this, even while you are in the ongoing process of being made holy. In other words, you are no longer a work in progress, even though you will always be a work in progress. (laughs) He has made you perfect through Jesus. Even while through the process of sanctification, he is making you holy. Here's how my friend Bo Barron explained it to me over breakfast one year, uh, time, 10, 12 years ago. We were sitting there and I've had the privilege of being able to share this with several others before. We were sitting there and he's like, okay, let me, let me show it to you like this. And he grabbed a salt and pepper shaker and he put them on the, on the table. And he said, let's just imagine that the salt represents like how God feels towards you. And, and the pepper represents your holiness, your, your actions kind of day to day. And, and so he says, when you put your faith in Jesus, man, God sees you as a perfect tin. You are made righteous. You are given a righteousness apart from yourself, which means you're in the process of being made holy. And what we wanna do is draw a line that connects those two things. How God views us as perfect, and our actions as holy. And the danger in doing that is that maybe we wake up one morning and we yell at our kids. (laughs) We um, do the one finger wave to a car that cut us off. (laughs) We're cranky with our coworkers. Maybe something else, and we think, man, today was rough. (laughs) On the holiness scale, I was like a four at best. (laughs) And if we have these two connected, what we end up thinking is, that's probably how God feels about me too, that I'm not this perfect 10, but instead I'm more of a four or a five. But then we wake up the next day and, and it's a good day. And instead of yelling at our kids, we, we love them. And, you know, we speak kindly to them. Uh, we, we let that driver in. Uh, we, we are kind to our coworkers. We, we just go and we have just a good day. And we feel like, man, today, God, I nailed it. You must really be proud of me. Today, I, I was like a six or a seven. And so, God, that means that today you probably view me as like a six or a seven. And compared to yesterday, I will, I will, I will take that. <laughs> What Hebrews 10 teaches us is that the cross of Christ removes the connection between our holiness and how God views us. We have been made perfect forever even while we are being made holy. So look at this. You can have a day where it's just way down in the dumps. I mean, you hit rock bottom and it's not gonna change how God feels about you. It's not gonna change his love And his affection for you. Because listen, his love and affection for you is not based on you anyway. It's based on Jesus and the finished work on the cross and your faith in him. And so let me sum up everything that we've been talking about with this. Nothing you do can cause God to lose his grip on you. Nothing. And nothing can snatch you out of his mighty hand full stop, plain and simple. But the tension in Scripture and the tension of this topic is that Scripture does seem to indicate that while God will never let go of us, we can let go of God. And we can willingly turn our back on Him and walk away. We are given choice to be faithful to God and to be in a saving relationship with him through Jesus, which, which I believe means that we've also been given the choice to walk away from that. God does not coerce us. He does not force himself upon us. And so he allows us to come to him and he allows us to turn from him if that's what a person desires to do. But like the father and the prodigal son, our heavenly father will always wait, always watch for the first sign of us returning to him. And even while we are a long way off, if he sees us turn back towards him, he comes running to us, arms open wide to embrace us, to welcome us back as his children and bring us back home. Jesus, our good shepherd, knows us and loves us. He protects us and watches over us and he searches for us when we get lost. He keeps us safe and secure from anything and anyone that wants to snatch us out of his hands and nothing can change that. As our good shepherd, he laid down his life for us so that we could find life in him. And so today, if you are here and you have wandered and you wondered if there's any way that God could still love you, If you can turn back to him, the answer is a resounding yes. Your good shepherd has been searching for you and he is ready to carry you back home and give your weary soul the rest that it desires. Or maybe you've never walked through that gate and entered into his salvation, entered into his protection and his security, entered into the grasp of his loving arms. And today, if that's you, we encourage you to take that next step of faith, to surrender your life to him, to enter through the gate of Jesus and to find salvation in your life. I'm gonna stand, or ask you to stand with me and pray. We're gonna sing one more song. If you wanna talk to someone about taking your next step of faith, or maybe if you just need someone to pray with you today because you have wandered and you're ready to return to the Father. At the end of our service, we invite you to come up and find someone. Jesus, thank you for being our good shepherd. Thank you for holding us even even when we want to run from you. (laughs) you. you continue to call us back and and you have promised us that through our faith in your sacrifice, we have been made perfect forever, even while we are being made holy. And so God, for the person today who maybe has wandered and wonders if there's any way that they can come back, Lord, I pray that they will see you, their heavenly father, with arms wide open to welcome them home. And for the person that maybe needs to take that first step of faith, God, give them the courage to lay down their life so that they can find it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.